You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. As you may have noticed, I'm not Carolyn. Uh, My name is Mark, if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you. Um, And it's a pleasure to be with you here today. Um, Today we're going to be taking a a look at um, the story of uh, Martha and Mary out of Luke 10. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles there. Also, I would encourage you to um, pull out something maybe to uh, write on and write with in case God speaks to you. Uh, it's always good to write that down so that you can pray about it and act on it maybe later. <coughs> so, um, this morning we're going to finish up our series uh, based on the book uh, The Deeply Formed Life by Rich Velotis, who uh, kind of contends that you know there's this natural rhythm between contemplation and action. So through contemplation we recognize, think, and pray about those things um, you know that can help us be Um, more the person that God wants us to be. And then through action, we use spiritual principles to develop practices uh, to reflect the deeply formed life. Now, uh, Volotis, he applies those ideas to several areas that uh, not only affect our personal lives, but also how we interact to the people around us. Uh, In the the first message, uh, we applied this pattern of overcoming a depleted lifestyle. And we were encouraged to develop healthy practices of solitude so we can have communion with God. The next message, we considered racial reconciliation, and we all learned uh, we need the grace and mercy of Jesus to heal uh, the divisions created by our, our culture and our past. We then looked at interior examination, getting to know yourself, uh, your feelings, and your motivations in order uh, to be the person that God wants you to be. Uh, a person not only free of shame, but also the destructive behavior that's caused by our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups. And then finally, last week, uh, we discussed sexual wholeness, uh, where we kind of learned that, um, you know, sexuality was a lot more than, um, you know, an act. It was really, uh, a lot of the message kind of dealt on the fact that you cannot separate the spirit and the soul from the body. They are uh, intimately connected. And so finally, this week, um, we're going to consider how to be a missional presence to the world. Uh, Now, when I say missional presence, uh, you may automatically think about, you know, trips overseas or uh, things like that. And my daughter is leaving for Ecuador today. So actually, kind of a a little little good timing there, I guess. Um, So you may think, uh, you know, overseas trips where you may think uh, about more local things. Uh, for instance, you know, our, our local regional partners such as uh, the Father's Heart or um, the Wesley Foundation at UGA. Um, and while it's good and right to think about all those things, um, that's not what quite what Velotis means by missional presence. Here we're not going to uh, talk about going on a mission trip or, uh, in any regard. So really, uh, he kind of intends that being a missional presence is a lot broader uh, than that. It doesn't necessarily have to deal with a specific destination or ministry. Uh, instead, it's about sharing our faith in a real, tangible way um, by being Jesus for others in a distracted and disengaged world. 
So if you would, um, just like to take a moment for us to pray. Um, so Father God, thank you. It is an honor um, to share your word, Lord God. I am humbled by it every time I do it. And so Father, I would pray, first of all, that you guide my tongue, that I speak your truth, that I speak encouragement, and that I speak love. And then, Father, I would also ask that you give us ears to hear, that we would come to know you better, that we would just feel your love and your presence. You're so good and great and awesome, Lord God, and you are worth everything that we have. In your name, Jesus, do we pray. Amen. So, <laughs> to be honest, and I'll, I'll confess up, I use that word, uh, that phrase a lot in, lo in the first service, so I'll try to cut back on the honesty a little bit. I mean, I'm going to be honest, but <laughs> going to cut back on that phrase a little bit. Um, so, uh, I haven't really figured out how to share my faith so that it's a regular part of my interaction with others. Um, I do pretty well here at church uh, or other pla safe places, right, where um, you know, I'm encouraged or expected to kind of share my faith with others. But just in about every other place outside of quote-unquote church, those places where sharing my faith really matters, uh, it's much more difficult for me. I struggle with it. Um, it's not that I don't want to, um, but the reality of it is, is that, you know, I'm so busy or distracted by the things that I'm doing, generally speaking, I I don't even think to do it. Um, and, you know, so that when I think about that, it, it causes me to pause for a moment and just kind of ask myself, how many opportunities have I missed or have I been needed uh, to share my faith? And I was so invested in what I was doing that I just missed it. Now, don't get me wrong. Occasionally, I do actually get to share my faith in places outside of church, uh, and I even pray for it sometimes. Uh, now, of course, when those occasions come up, uh, all those self-doubt questions immediately pop into my head. Uh, questions like, am I going to say the right thing? Will they shut me down as soon as I start to share? Am I going to come off as a religious nut job? Raise your hand if you're a religious nut job. <laughs> Mike Barr, come on. <laughs> right. Will I sound judgmental or loving? And am I being carrying, or am I just trying to argue so that I can be right? Um, so those are all kinds of questions that pop up when I start to share my faith. I don't know, does that, any of that sound familiar to you? Uh, does anyone else kind of struggle to share your faith or to be like Jesus for the people outside of the church setting? So sharing our faith and being like Jesus you know, I would say for most of us, isn't always an easy thing. It seems like it should be, though. It seems like it should be natural and easy for us to do. We've, we've experienced the love and joy of God, and we want others to do the same. We know we have good news, and we know we want to share it. Okay? We also recognize that the world and the people in it seem to be falling apart, completely falling apart. And we believe that Jesus is the answer to these problems. And so, you know, just a, just a for instance, you know, um, was it two years? Time has gone by so fast lately. Was it two years ago or just last summer with all the riots going on in all the different cities? Was that two 2020? 
two years ago. See, okay. So I distinctly remember when all that was going on, I, I just thought, you know, like the only way this will ever get fixed is if Jesus is placed at the center of it. That's the only way that it, this is ever going to get reconciled. There's nobody on either side of the debate that's going to be able to fix it. There's only one person that can. And unless he's put into the middle of it, it will never happen. Okay? It just won't ever happen. And so, um, you know, we do believe that Jesus is the answer to not only our personal problems, but societal problems. And unfortunately, secular America has kind of a cynical and skeptical view of religion, particularly Christianity. Uh, so the culture tends to resist us whenever we try to bring Jesus into a situation. Now, while not all the blame for this negative view lies with us, certainly some of it does. The church has done and continues to do great things, and I, I think there's not enough infinite emphasis placed on the great things that the church does. But uh, the real question or uh, I'm sorry, it's really all, you know, this negative view. It's really, I think, uh, kind of boils down to a question of holiness. Um, you know, the, uh, we get called hypocrites simply because we make this claim to holiness, but so many in the church fail to or don't even try to live up to this claim. And I'm going to be honest, uh, there's that phrase. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this summer, um, you know, we're in the process of separating from the United Methodist Church. And you may hear a lot of different things about that, but you need to understand that at the bottom of that, the root of that, is all about holiness. Will we celebrate holiness, or will we live up to holiness, or will we not? Uh, and so holiness matters. Holiness uh, should be a defining characteristic that separates the people of the church from everybody else. You know, and we kind of need to realize that people outside the church, particularly in America, uh, we aren't really looking, they aren't looking for us to build them things. Um, they're not looking for us to do things for them. Um, they're not even necessarily looking for us to save them. Um, what they really want to know, though, sorry, um, what they really want to know is do we have any saints? to send them? Are we the people of actual goodness that we claim to be? That is a great question to ask ourselves, both as a church and individually. Are we here at Mosaic developing a church culture of holiness from which we can send saints to the world? I think we try pretty good. Uh, we try pretty hard at that. And then individually, Am I willing to grow in my own holiness so that the world might know it has a saint in it? Do I even consider myself a saint? It's a very good question to ask yourself. Do you consider yourself a saint? And if not, why not? So we want to talk about that a little bit. The f just this fact that missional presence has to do with being like Jesus for the people around us. And so when it comes to missional presence, um, Velotis kind of suggests that people general, generally fall into two categories, beers and doers. So beers are kind of characterized by being. 
right? Uh, they like to be, be with people, uh, be around, just kind of chill out, hang out, that sort of thing. Uh, in their devotion to Christ, um, they tend to really gravitate to things like prayer, Bible study, and worship. They love to be with Jesus, so they spend their time simply trying to bask in his presence. Doers are going to be people of action. They like to do, okay? So in the kingdom of Christ, they like to ser- uh, focus on serving Christ and then completing the tasks associated with building his church or working, uh, um, building his kingdom or working in the church. So just out of curiosity, how many of you think that you're a beer? How many of you think that you're a doer? I am hands down a doer, okay? I am the hands down. My wife, uh, Amy, would, would testify that I have a hard time sitting still. If I'm not doing, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to shake if I don't start doing, you know, that kind of thing. So um, anyhow, um, there are some issues with both beers and doers that we kind of want to recognize. And so as soon as we talk about beers and doers, the biblical story that kind of comes to mind would be the story of Mary and Martha. So if you have your Bible, if you want to go ahead and take a look at, at uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 and 39, uh, I'm sorry, 38 through 42, rather, uh, it says this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had, had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, <laughs> the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, if you've been in, in church for a while, you've probably he- heard several sermons on the story of Mary and Martha, and so um, we're not going to delve deeply in, into that particular story, but we are going to look at what happens with beers and doers. And in that story, we see the primary downfall, if you would, of doers. Uh, it's kind of the easy one to see. So the spiritual pitfall of uh, being a doer is clearly seen through Martha. Martha is so anxious and distracted by all the things that need doing that she completely misses the presence of Jesus, failing to spend time uh, with him and really to, to sit at his feet and to listen to what he has to say. Hear that. Listen to what he has to say. For those of us that are doers, that is our main problem. We become so focused on a task we think God has given us that even though we accomplish the task, we miss, we miss God or the spiritual connection he wanted us to make in the process. And um, I'm going to share with you a little, little personal story. About 20 years ago, uh, I got to lead a small, uh, short-term mission trip um, to Russia. Um, and so uh, this was when Russia was a little bit more open. And um, just a, a little b- backstory about what that mission trip was about is um, w- as Russia made the transition into communism uh, through the periods of really, I guess, Stalin, um, they wanted to indoctrinate their population into communism. And so what they did is every summer their youth were made to go off to youth camps for actually most of the summer, uh, a good bit of time. You know, we're talking a couple of months. And during that time, 
they were indoctrinated, indoctrinated into communism. Um, and so in the early 90s, when the Soviet Union kind of collapsed, uh, you know, the wall came down, these summer youth camps were so in, in, ingrained in their culture that they just continued to, to pr go on. And um, the issue became, well, if we're not teaching communism anymore, and that was so much of our quote-unquote curriculum, uh, what do we replace it with? Well, this guy had this great idea, and he's like, I know what we can replace it with. And so what he would do is, over the course of the summer, he would invite mission trips to come spend their time in these youth camps and basically just minister the gospel to kids who have actually never, ever heard of it. Um, and so that was kind of um, the atmosphere that we were going into. Um, now, I was a, a younger man at that point in time, not <laughs> as wise, uh, and I say that <laughs> kind of jokingly, uh, not as wise I, as I am now. Um, and so as the leader, I just kind of, as a leader and as a doer, I felt it was my responsibility to make sure that all the pieces were where the pieces needed to be. And so I was flitting around here and there, making sure all my team members were associated, you know, doing what they needed to be doing, you know, that I had interpreters where they needed to be and, and all that sort of thing. Um, so uh, I, ju I just kind of kept myself busy with the important work of uh, doing the mission trip. Now, as we were there, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I did spend some time with some of the campers, and there were about a dozen or so young gentlemen, uh, you know, ages 12 to 14, that for whatever reason, they just kind of gravitated towards me. Can't tell you why, they just did. And, um, uh, and um, the issue was, is I was so busy flitting around that I never, ever got to sit down with those guys and engage and figure out who they were and what they were about. And um, it wasn't until sometime after I got home from that mission trip that I, I just, I guess I was reflecting on it, whatnot, and I just said to myself, oof, I, I just missed the boat on that one. All they wanted was my time, and that was the one thing that I failed to give them. And um, hit me particularly hard. Um, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to go to Russia, but Russia is a spiritually dark place. Um, you know, when Stalin came to power, um, and probably also part of the, uh, the Russian Revolution and that sort of thing, uh, the church w in, in Russia was basically annihilated. Um, you know, there, there's still some uh, Eastern Orthodoxy there, but in general, th the Christian church was annihilated. I actually, uh, one of the places not too far away from the youth camp that we could take a small walk to was a, a torn down cathedral, uh, where you just go and it was nothing but the walls left over. So Russia was a, is a spiritually dark place, and I could have been the only opportunity that those young gentlemen had to have Christ spoken into their lives, and I missed it. And it is a regret. So as a doer, that is something that I have to learn. Presence matters. In the story of Mary and Martha, M Martha is the one that actually kind of gets the bad rap. Uh, and Jesus even says, Mary has chosen what is better, so it won't be taken from her. But in terms of being a missional presence, there's also a problem for the beers. Before Jesus ascended, uh, he gave us the Great Commission, to clear, clearly telling us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So here's the problem with be, uh, a beer. If we spend all of our time simply trying to be w- with Jesus, then the Great Commission never gets fulfilled. That is, if we only be and never do, then we can never impact the world for Christ as he intends us to. So what we kind of see is that this idea of missional presence, being Jesus for the people around us, involves both of those things. It involves both being and doing. So as Veloda says, we are to wrestle with the tension between monastery and mission. We are not called to remain within cloistered walls, giving ourselves to prayer apart from social engagement with the world. Nor are we called to perpetually and indiscriminately be consumed with being active in the world. We're not to be Mary with, to the exclusion of Martha, nor are we to be Martha to the exclusion of Mary. Both are required. So that being said, one is kind of a prerequisite for the other. Although both are required, there's one. There's a pecking order to the two. Any talk of working or in or building God's kingdom must not begin with activity, but it has to begin with a life devoted to God. You can't give what you don't have. So if you don't have God, you can't give him away. So our doing has to flow out of our being with God. We do have work to do, but Jesus and his word are the priority. So I like to give a little bit of practical uh, applications, if you would. And so if missional presence is about being like Christ to the people around us, how can we do that? particularly if you're like me and aren't real strong at it. So how do we be a missional presence to the world around us? So first of all, let me ease your mind a little bit. I'm not about to tell you that you need to go off to the Amazon and preach the gospel to some backwards tribe while you're, you know, only wearing a loincloth. No, that is not what this is going to be about. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to, you know, put that disturbing picture in your mind. Um, (laughs) So, a deeply formed missional presence is not about the places we go or necessarily the things we do. Um, It's not giving up, uh, you know, it's not about giving up everything. Rather, a deeply formed missional presence is about learning to be Christ for the people around us. Okay? So, here, it's the quality of our presence that is our mission, or the quality of our presence will affect our doing. Now, you may not think you're good enough, spiritual enough, know the Bible well enough, or are prayerful enough to serve in the kingdom of God. But Jesus knows all your problems. He knows your addictions, your hang-ups, and your failures. And in spite of all that, we are still invited to go on mission with him. Um, and so, if, if you don't get that yet, read your Bible, and you will see that from the beginning to the end, God used screwed-up people. Okay? He used screwed-up people. Yeah, so you have no excuse. You really don't. So now I recognize that it could take months, if not years, to really delve into what it means to be like Jesus, uh, you know, uh, for the people around us. I mean, you're talking about a lifetime of going to church, right? Most of our messages or a lot of our messages kind of revolve around that idea. Um, But for today, what I want to do is I just want to mention three things for you to think about, three things that are Um, you know, they don't really require us to go anywhere special or do anything particular. Um, They don't require us to be intrusive, awkward, or coercive, and they're all relatively easy to employ 
on a daily basis. You've got to just think about it a little bit and say, you know, I can do that. So three things, <coughs> and then we'll be done. So number one, first thing, is you have to adopt a missional presence and posture. So this is all about your attitude. You've got to have the right attitude toward the world and the people in it. So as Christians, uh, we often will come off across, you know, come across as what God is against rather for than what God is for. So what is God for? Well, there's one primary thing that God is for, and God, and that is people. Uh, God is for people. He created them. He loves them. He wants all of them to be in a right relationship with him, with him. And actually, it's kind of interesting. I've never noticed this, but you know, in, in reading the deeply formed. Uh, Life, Volotus does point out that from the beginning to the end, God is never without people. There is never an instance in the Bible where you don't see God interacting and being with people. So if it's from the beginning to the end, it must be important to God. So if it's important to God, it should be important to us. Now, it's hard, if not impossible, to be a saint in the world if we don't have that attitude. We need to love and be for people. It's actually the second most important commandment that Jesus gave to us after loving your Lord, your God, right? With all your mind, heart, and spirit, uh, soul, and strength, and all everything you have, right? So the question that we always need to ask ourselves is, are we for people? Do you even like people? I, <laughs> I mean, seriously, that, that's, that's a real good question to ask, right? Do I even like people? Right? I mean, we've been saying it uh, for a number of years now, right, that people aren't the problem, people are the prize. And so, do you treat them like a prize? Uh, what, do, uh, what about the people that look, think, or act different from you? What do you say about people when you're driving or posting something on social media? Now, I, I'll have, uh, driving, I'm particularly guilty at that one, okay? Um, but I, I, have to, I have to say that I am deeply, deeply troubled by what I see some of my Christian friends post on social media. How angry and ugly and just downright mean it is. And when I see that, and I'm not saying necessarily anybody here, okay, I'm just saying in general. When I see that, I just want to say, please don't tell anybody that you're, you, you're a Christian. Please don't identify yourself with Christ at all. Please don't do that. Um, and, you know, so I... I'm still learning about how to control myself when I drive, but on social media, boy, if it ain't nice, I don't say it, you know? Um, I don't say it. Not that I really say anything on social media anyhow. But anyhow, um, when we ask questions like this, it's not hard to see that we have trouble loving not just people, but, you know, all people, Uh, particularly when so much of our culture reduces our relationships to tribalism. And do you understand what I mean by tribalism? that we're all placed into categories based on who we are or how we think. And our culture tells you to hate the people in, that are tri- in tribes that are different from yours. And that is not what we should be about at all. Okay? Um, i got to be honest with you. Um, I... Oh, there's that phrase. <laughs> A lot of honesty happening today. Sorry to air all my dirty laundry. Uh, so I have trouble loving people. I really do. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's not a natural thing for me. It's not my default setting. Um, and, uh, you know, most of the time, 
it's hard for me just to get beyond myself, to love anybody beyond myself. Um, and so it's, it's hard for me, but for God, but for God. I don't, I don't know if you can identify that it's hard to love people, but for God. And so when I am found in him, with him, focused on him, then all things are possible, even loving other people, especially those that are different from me. And, um, and so there's the being part translating into doing, right? You be with Christ, and it translates into loving people. Two, so number one is adopt a missional presence or posture. Two, practice hospitality. And this is all about welcoming others regardless of who they are. Hospitality is a, uh, I'm sorry, hospitality is a holy act because it reflects God who welcomes and receives all. It's not just about opening our homes, although it can certainly include that but it's about opening your hearts and listening to and empathizing with those people around you. It's about noticing people and making sure that they know they matter to you and to God. And so let me give you kind of an example of kind of what this might look like uh, outside your house. So what's the, uh, uh, if I were to ask you, and I guess I am asking you, what is the number one thing that people like to talk about? Themselves, very good. <laughs> Both of you and the first service got this. Yeah, the number one thing that people love to talk about is themselves. And so if we can get people to talk about the things that really matter to them, then we create an environment where they not only feel welcome, but may be comfortable enough to share what's going on in their lives. So personal example uh, of this. Um, my oldest daughter, Ashley, is in the process of getting her first apartment. It's so sad she's going to be leaving us in a month. Um, and so as part of that, she's buying furniture, right? And um, she, doesn't have her, she hasn't started her real job yet, so she's looking on Facebook Marketplace. And uh, about a month ago, she found, found a couch. And because I'm the guy with the pickup truck, she's like, Dad, can you come with me to pick it up? I'm like, yeah, sure, I'd love to. Um, and I, d I don't know what it was. I, I just must have been social or uh, in a mood, uh, in, in the right mood. Um, and so um, we, we go out to this house uh, out in Harlem, and it's kind of off a back road, so it's a big piece of property. And just pulling up. I mean, we're talking, uh, you know, three to five acres, big piece of property. And as we pull up, I just notice everything in that yard is meticulously kept. A lot of fruit trees, stuff like that, all meticulously kept. And so we pull into the driveway, and there's an older gentleman who sees us come up. And, you know, as most people are, they're a little bit cautious about these online transactions. And so, you know, I, I don't want, defensive is not quite the right word, but, you know, not quite open, kind of checking us out, you know, a little reserved and that sort of thing. And we went through, we got the transaction done. Um, and um, and I, like I said, I must have been in a mood to be social, and I'm like, I'm going to get this guy talking. And so I asked him, he had, a, in, in the back, he had a bunch of vines, and I, so I asked him, are those grapes or are those muscadines? Boom. Half an hour later, once he was done talking about his property, uh, you know, um, I, just with that one simple observation and that one simple question, he opened himself up and we had a good conversation. Okay, so was it a divine appointment? Probably not. Uh, you know, Christ was not mentioned. We didn't talk about spiritually deep things. But I will say this, that I welcomed him into that conversation. All it took was a simple observation and a quick question to get that ball rolling. 
So do you notice people and the things that are important to them? Do you ask them about them? Do you ask them, people, about these things? Do you ask them questions that are a little bit deeper than, oh, what do you do? How is your day going, right? Things that will really get them to share. So when you talk to others, do you do most of the talking or do you do most of the listening? And when you listen, do you listen? Do you try to pick up on the things that they're, the keys or the um, ideas that they're giving you um, that is kind of indicating what's important to them? And then do you ask them about that? So in other words, do you notice people? And I don't mean in like a stalking kind of way, okay? <laughs> I'm like, do you, do you pay attention to people and what they're talking about? And if you do, it becomes very easy to kind of pick up on that. I've actually realized that, you know, for me, who's, uh, I don't want to say I'm socially awkward, maybe I am, um, <laughs> but I've kind of realized that that's a skill that can be developed and learned. And it's a skill that I want to pursue. Because if it's about people, then I want to be able to relate to people. So when practicing hospitality, the goal isn't to corner someone to preach at them, but it's rather to create a space where heartful conversations about faith can happen. The more we create spaces for people who don't look like us, think like us, or behave like us, the more we'll be able to introduce them to Jesus. All right, number three is work unto the Lord. The average American spends over 100,000 hours at work. And probably most of you are like, ooh, yeah, I feel like it. <laughs> okay? Uh, yeah, the average American spends over 100,000 hours at work and gets to meet all kinds of people. Uh, it's actually probably the one place where you encounter the most people that are unchurched, depending on where you work. Okay? So come Sunday evening, uh, many, some of you may resent that you have to go back to work on Monday. But your workplace, that can actually be a great place for spiritual growth and a great place for you to practice missional presence. Now, when we talk about work, we often kind of split work, you know, maybe into sacred work and secular work. Sacred work being the work that's done by the clergy or work that's done at church. And then secular work is basically everything else. Um, theologically, that's wrong. Okay? Theologically, uh, for the Christian... All work is holy work. Uh, so when you look at Colossians 3, verses 23 through 24, uh, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. So according to that, all work is holy work because you're working as if unto the Lord. So our really, we should kind of think of our work as an expression of worship to God. And so, let me ask, do you view your work as holy work? Well, I don't know, sometimes. But do you think of it like that on a regular basis? And have you ever really thought what it would mean to work as if for Jesus? So, I'm a college professor. Uh, I have thought about this question. I don't know that I live out this, uh, this, this idea, but I have thought about it. And I always viewed um, this verse as kind of like Jesus being my boss right? And uh, what would I do? How would I work if Jesus were my boss? Um, but um, it doesn't ha necessarily have to be that way. You know, you could also think about it not as if Jesus were my boss, but what if Jesus were my clientele, the people that I was serving through my job? And how would I do my job differently if that were the case? So, um, 
we need to kind of understand because there are so many different ple- people often in our workplace, the way that we present ourselves at work matters missionally. It really does. Uh, when we think uh, missionally about our jobs, you know, it may be tempting to kind of think that the first thing that we need to do is just try to save everybody, right? Evangelize to them. Uh, we want to believe that God had sent us there to convert people. Uh, unfortunately, if that's our approach, then our work is likely to suffer and we're probably just going to annoy everybody. Um, you know, uh, so um, that being said, we are there to be the presence of Jesus, okay? Um, and we are to express his presence primarily through how we work, our good work. And so when we talk about good work, you can think about integrity, okay, of our character as well as our commitment to doing our job particularly well. So we don't want to work merely to be productive, but we also want to be uh, bringing a positive Christ-like um, disposition as a gift to our workplace. And so there's actually a lot entailed there. You know, we should do a whole series on that, bringing Jesus to work. Um, so we, we do need to recognize that people are watching what we do and how we behave. So it does us very little good to actually talk about God and Christ and then be not very good at our job, okay, or, and do our jobs poorly. So a lot that could be said there, but just a little extra incentive, which I'd never actually pulled out until, uh, you know, I've read that verse a whole bunch of times, but th- I just noticed that this go around, so that when we read this verse, it says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. So God's going to pay you for your good work. You know, like, I'm like, I've never thought about that. I'd always wanted to do it to please him, but my inheritance is kind of wrapped up in how I do my job. Think of it as maybe a delayed bonus, okay, which you'll get to when you see the, yeah, see it in heaven. All right, so we're almost done here. Uh, to close us, I would like to say uh, some, uh, you know, a prayer for us. And I do recognize uh, that... Um, being a missional presence is really not so much about where we're going, but being, it's a way of being, being Christ for those around us. We're not here to try to manufacture some, uh, in, uh, I'm sorry, some awkward, inauthentic spiritual encounter for other people. We're not trying to make this happen. It's just based off of who we are as people. We are to be Jesus to those around us. And that can only happen if we spend regular time with him. And out of that being in presence with him, our doing will flow in a much better way. So we all need help with that, okay? We all do. None of us are perfect at it. And we need to recognize that God is the primary source of all that life and all that being and all that presence and all that good work. He is the primary source. So we want to go to him and spend time with him. And so in just a minute, I'm going to close this in a prayer. We haven't, uh, I've done this before, we haven't done this in a while, um, but I'm going to open the prayer, and then once I open up the prayer, I'm going to ask you to ask God three questions. And then after I ask each one of those questions, I'm going to give you a moment or two just to be silent and to listen. And God is faithful, he will reply. And if you, if you hear something, or I should say when you hear something, um, be sure to take some extra time to pray about that. And then if it's an action, act on it, okay? Um, So 
We, are we all clear on what's going to happen with the prayer? All right. So let's go ahead and pray. Dear Father God, we love you and we love your son and, and we know, Father God, that we are to be like Jesus for the people around us. We know that it should be a thing that should flow easily for us, Lord God. And it does when we are in your presence. And so, Father God, we would ask that we are, um, that you help us spend more and more time in your presence, Lord God, so that those things that you teach us and you show us and that you change in us, Lord God, will naturally flow out into the things that we do with the people around us, Lord God. Father God, there are three things particularly that we want to pray about. First, Lord God, and I would ask that you ask God this. Show us, Lord God, where you need us to have a heart for the world. Where are we missing it for the people in the world and the people around us, Lord God? Show us that and then help us change it. Ask God that and then take a moment to listen. you to ask God to tell you who you need to be more hospitable toward or who you need to be more welcoming to. Ask him that and then listen. Finally, ask God how you can do better at work. How you can better serve him there so that people around you might know that there is a saint in that workplace. Ask him that question and then listen. Father, the world is crying out for saints. Your word describes the believers, Lord God, as saints. Help us, Father God, to take that mantle and bear it well. Help us, Lord God, to recognize that we too are saints and that we need to live like it so that the world may know that you are a real and that you love them, Lord God, and that you want to be with them in right relationship with them. Thank you so much, Lord God, for loving us, for allowing us to be your children, and just for showing us a better way. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, We'd love to see you. 
visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.